All right, what's the movie that that comes from? Back to the Future. Back to the Future, yeah. A couple of months ago, I was back in London, and I took, Karen and I took our grandsons to see Back to the Future, the stage show. It was amazing, with um, Marty McFly and Biff and Doc and a host of other biblical characters. It was really... <laughs> It was really terrific. But my favorite thing is the, the DeLorean. Everyone remember the DeLorean with the weird doors and, and you could go backwards and forwards in time. I wish that I could load up our Timberline student ministry team and our Timber Kids team and get them in a DeLorean bus and set the dial for 1996 when my kids, Kelly and Richard, were students. Because we have the most astonishing leaders in these ministries. And I just want to let you know about it because our young people are under such pressure these days. They are being bombarded with all kinds of information that is really unhelpful. In fact, let me just ask you this. If you are in public education, if you're a teacher, if you're in education, could you just show us where you are? Just raise your hand. Can we thank our friends who are out there doing amazing, amazing work? And we thank you because we're aware that your job is not always easy these days. But it's no good looking at our culture and throwing up our hands and saying, what can we do? We have these ministries that can really not only give a great program to these young people, excellent worship and teaching, but what I love is the sense that they have that they are seen, that they belong, that they are loved. So last Wednesday, I snuck into TSM, Student Ministries, and I thought, I'll just try and blend in, you know. (laughs) And they're probably thinking, who's the creepy old guy at the back, you know? Um, But they were having so much fun. So listen, Grandma, encourage your your grandkids in this. And and parents, this is a resource available to help support you as a parent and bless our young people. So let me just share that with you. And by the way, that was out of my sermon time in case you're getting nervous. And everybody said, that was rude that you responded to. You were supposed to... That was rude. We're in this, uh, in this series looking at Mark's gospel, and the title for my message today is Amazing Jesus, Dangerous Religion. Amazing Jesus, Dangerous Religion. Let's jump in, Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath." Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. 
Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. How many of us here, here in this uh, building, watching online, we welcome you. How many of us are hunters? How many hunters do we have? Just raise your hand. My friend Jerry over there is a hunter. Sue and I tried it. One time. One time. When we first came to America, we moved to Klamath Falls, Oregon. And in Klamath Falls, Oregon, real men hunt. Oh, yeah. And so they insisted that I uh, go hunting with them. As I've often said, it was highly unsuccessful. You could hear the deer laughing in the woods. It was <laughs> not good. But some, some people were really into it. Like, I, I think some of these guys wore camouflage pajamas in case in their dreams they might meet Bambi. You know, it was a bit, it was a bit like that. And my friend Jack, Jack Faulkner, He's still my friend all these years later. He was an avid duck hunter. And he told me about the technique. You go out and you sit in a hide and, and uh, with your feet out in front of you and you wait. And then suddenly Donald arrives. <laughs> the duck, that is. And, and he said, you wait. And as they descend, they fix their wings and then you, you follow them down as they fix their wings. And then he said, before you pull the trigger, you have to inhale and hold your breath. And then, poof. The only thing is that Jack was out one day and he followed the duck down, but he miscalculated and blew three of his toes off. Poof. That's what he said. Now, He's a good-humored chap, and so he's laughed about it a lot since. He's like, oh, I was so stupid. I, you know, I blew my, my toes off. And, you know, I joke with him, you know, like, well, can I buy your slippers? You know, something like that. <laughs> he took aim and shot himself in the foot. In this season of his ministry, Jesus is being hunted, and his critics have got him in their sights, and they are, they are holding their breath. In fact, when it says that they, were, they watched him closely, the Greek words there mean they were hanging in dispense, just, just ready. And they royally shot themselves in the foot, literally. They were, there were several thousand Pharisees. They were Pharisees, and they were spread throughout the land of Israel in Jesus' day, although Mark in his gospel mainly focuses on the activities of the Pharisees in Galilee. They were not officially appointed by anybody. They were like a, a, a group of like-minded men who longed for religious and spiritual revival. And there was a lot that was good about them. They prayed for three hours every day. 
and they love to talk about the law of God. And even though, because of what we know about the Pharisees, we tend to think of them as the the, the wicked witches of the pantomime, and we hiss whenever they're around, the truth is, they were nice. They had a reputation for being nice. Uh, The ancient Jewish historian, Josephus, he says that they were influential among the common people because they were pleasant and they were engaging. But in this episode, Mark rips away the holy image and the nice image, and he shows this group of Pharisees as being highly dangerous. There's was a dangerous dose of religion. And now they're upset with Jesus, and it's all about the Sabbath. He was working, or his disciples were working on the Sabbath, they complained. They're wandering through the fields. They're going through the fields, and they're picking heads of grain. And the Pharisees said, that's work, that's wrong. And they went to Jesus about it, because if the disciples of a rabbi were doing something wrong, the rabbi was responsible, which is why they went to him. And then there's another episode in the synagogue, probably in Capernaum, where Jesus was basing his ministry at this time, and he miraculously heals a man with a withered hand. And again, they say, that is work, and they are upset with him. Now, what has all this got to do with us, I hear you ask. Thousands of years later, so what? Well, here's the thing. We can become like the Pharisees. And this virus of being Pharisaic is especially especially found among those who would be passionate about their Christian faith. If you start getting passionate and full on for Jesus, and I hope that you are, the temptation that will come to you is to become like a Pharisee. Jesus repeatedly said to his team, to his disciples, do not be like them. Don't pray like them. Don't fast like them. Don't give like them. Don't dress like them. Don't posture like them. If you have any doubt, look at Matthew 23. It's one of the most blistering sermons you'll ever find. And it's directed to the Pharisees. So I I want us to look at them today. But before we do that, I want us to first look at the amazing, beautiful Jesus in these two episodes. How many of us are here today, not just because it's Sunday morning, but we're here to lift up Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? You can say amen or something. Amen. amen. That's what we want to do. And, and, and in preaching God's word, I, I want to take some moments before we look at these dangerous guys to look at the most magnificent person that there's ever been. It's Jesus. And Jesus, he knows us. He knows me, he knows you, and he knows what we need. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus knows that we need a rhythm in our lives, a rhythm of rest and recreation. That's what recreation is supposed to be, replenishment. But let's face it, we're all crazy busy. I mean, Well done for being here today. I mean, well done. 
it really matters because we're all in the rat race. And Lily Tomlin once famously said, the trouble with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. <laughs> we need the rhythm of worship. We need the rhythm of doing good. We talked about giving earlier. Jesus emphasized doing good on the Sabbath. But in our culture, we've lost the gift of a day when we can reconnect with the holy and recharge our spiritual batteries. And it's, it feels like there's been a pendulum swing. When I became a Christian, I was in church five times a week. It was ridiculous. Tuesday night prayer meeting, which I dreaded. It was so long. I think angels were sleeping. I mean, it, it was long. Wednesday night, we had youth group. That was amazing. Thursday night, we had Bible study. That was pretty good. Friday night, the youth group went out for pizza. And then Sunday, we went to church three times. Sunday school, then the morning service. Then we came back exhausted at the end of service to end our day of rest. I mean, if you didn't show up on Sunday, it was highly possible that God was going to kill you. Now the pendulum swing has gone the other way. The average church attendance from committed Christians in North America right now is 1.5 times a month. And that is pre-COVID. And I've got friends who don't go to church and they love Jesus, but they've got out of the habit because of COVID. They've broken the habit. They, they, didn't, they didn't even used to think about, shall we go, shan't we go? Now, if you're watching online, and sir, I see you in those Disney pajamas. <laughs> Thanks for being online, and we're going to continue this and develop this online resource. And if that's what you can do for various circumstances, you're at a distance or whatever, we, we get that and we value that. This is not a guilt trip thing, but I want to say, Jesus knows us, and he knows that we need Sabbath. And then he is Lord. He knows us and then he's Lord. He said something really incredible. He said the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Man, this talk about dropping a bomb on that gathering. Now what's the argument here? Well, Jesus talks about David consuming some of the consecrated bread. Elsewhere in Mark's gospel, Jesus talks about him being David's Lord. And so what he is saying, as he says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, excuse me, I invented the Sabbath. So I know how it's supposed to be done, thank you very much. He didn't exactly say it like that. But he is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus doesn't want to be our spiritual advisor or our occasional helper. He wants to be our Lord, our King. That's what becoming a follower of Jesus is. It's where we say, Jesus, you take charge. Now, let me just put a little caveat in there, though. Because when I was a young Christian, I heard this preacher who was one of those burst of blood vessel preachers. You know what I mean? It's like hollering and shouting. And he, he said something like this. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. 
And I went, Because let me tell you something. There is not a single person here who can say that Jesus is Lord of everything in our lives because we're in process. In fact, if you come up to me at the Welcome Center and say, Jesus is totally Lord of every thought, every action, every motive, and every area of my life, I'm going to recommend a counselor. (laughs) And I say that because not to excuse sin. Don't, Don't misunderstand me. But sometimes these Christian cliches can become debilitating and disheartening. We're in the process, but he wants to be Lord. And then Jesus, he is a provocateur. I've been practicing that all morning. Everybody say that with me. Now say it with a French accent. Provocateur. It is actually a French word. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. He could have done it privately. You know, like, and I'm going to point at someone, but, but don't worry, I'm not going to call you up here. You know who you are. <laughs> you came with me to Israel. You gave me grief. Forgiveness is good, but vengeance is better. It, that, that, that withered hand thing that you've got going on there, that withered hand, see me at guest services. Guest services afterwards. We'll sort it out. Jesus could have done that. Why did he have the guy stand up in front of everybody? Let's take it. Stand up in front of everybody. (laughs) Sit down. (laughs) Give him a round of applause. Come on. That was totally unplanned. And it was not a nudge of the spirit. It was a celebration of the flesh. Jesus could have said, I'll I'll talk to you later, but he's provoking something. He's provoking something. One writer says, it seems that nothing that Jesus can say or do will pierce the thick armor of moral insensitivity that encases the Pharisees' minds. The withered hand of the man is nothing compared to the withered souls of these religious examiners. But Jesus deliberately provokes them in one last bid to get through. The only healing miracle that he initiates without prompting. Here's a question. I'm asking myself it too. Can Jesus provoke me? Or is he so awfully nice? Such a gentleman. He wouldn't do anything to unsettle me, would he? Or upset me on a Sunday morning and put me off my dead chicken. Can he provoke us? And then look, he gets angry. Yeah. He gets angry. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Three very strong Greek words. There was an ignition of anger in Jesus. But by the way, when you study these words, that anger is mingled with compassion. I'm grateful for that. Because he's frustrated, but he's frustrated caringly and compassionately. He cares for these people. 
but he is angry. Now that makes me want to pay attention to this story because I don't want to make Jesus angry. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we make it our aim to please him. I don't want to make him angry. So let's turn the camera angle around now and spend a few minutes looking at these dangerous religious people. What a contrast. And you might think, dangerous religious people? That's a bit strong, Jeff. Well, look at this statement from Blaise Pascal. Men and women never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. Some of the worst seasons in history were perpetrated by people who thought they were doing it for God. So, what do we learn about being a dangerous religious person? Well, first of all, you're dangerously religious if you go looking for trouble. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And they, these guys, they were easily offended. Look, then the disciples came to him, Jesus, and said, they asked, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And of course, the disciples offended the Pharisees. As the disciples walked along, as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. I've been a pastor now for about 300 years, and I know I've met Christians who come to church to get offended. They are looking for a reason. And they normally get upset about stupid stuff. I know of a church where they had a big argument because the church budget did not reconcile and the missing amount was 10 cents. Hello. And they had a big fight until someone walked to the front and put a dime on the platform. Case closed. I know of a church that had arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve at a potluck. I could have resolved that. No kind. I know of a church that had an argument about whether they could serve deviled eggs. Ooh, deviled eggs at the church potluck. It's just one step towards the powers of darkness. Spawned by satanic chickens. Maybe they had angel food cake instead. Huh? <laughs> uh, sorry, 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 sorry. I know a Pharisee. His name is Jeff. He wears blue suede shoes. It happened when I went to our local church back in England. Normally, when I'm in England, I'm preaching somewhere, but we had a Sunday off, and so we walk down the lane, and we go to the little church that's a thousand years old. It has the smell of history about it. And it's a different denomination from ours, much more traditional. And, um, and I, I, I kind of like it now, but the first time I went there, man, 
I didn't like it because the pastor who calls himself a priest, he had a voice, he changed his voice during the service. He talked a little bit like this, and then we turn and we look at Jesus. I'm like, talk in your normal voice, dude. And I'm starting to get a bit irritated. Then we have the liturgy, and I like liturgy. I like it. But we, ha- we start off and we, we repent, and we say we're not worthy to gather up the crumbs under your table, and we repent. And then five minutes later, before we have communion, we repent again. Now, I'm really irritated, because I'm thinking, I haven't even had a chance to sin in the last five minutes. <laughs> well, probably my attitude was sinful. Then it came to the sermon, and I'd made up my mind, Pharisee that I am. I'm like, here we go. It's going to be, it's an, it's an eight-minute sermon, eight minutes. How many think that all sermons, no, 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 don't, don't. And I, I, I have prepared myself for eight minutes of irrelevance. And he's doing the voice. And it was Brilliant. Brilliant. Here's where I'm really embarrassed to say this. I was disappointed. Because I was looking for something to complain about. Do you go looking for trouble? Two nights ago, Kay and I went to the movies. We went to see Jesus' Revolution. Anybody seen Jesus' Revolution? Yeah, I, I cried. It's an amazing, if you haven't gone to see it, go to see it. It's beautiful. I, I wanted to kneel down in the theater, and people would be thinking, is he scrambling for popcorn on the floor? What's going on? You know. And there's a scene in the movie, Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel. All these hippies are coming to the church. And they smell, and they've got dirty feet because they don't wear shoes. And the straight people, as they called them back in the 60s, are all sitting there. I mean, I just got to say this, really, please forgive this, but they all look utterly constipated. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's the only way I can describe it. There is a great need for bran. Did Did I say that? Could I just say, if you're listening to this on the podcast or online... I uh, would like to apologize. I, Pastor Darry, would like to apologize for (laughs) what I just said. You know, and and they're complaining because the hippies are making the carpet dirty. They've got a packed church full of people hungry for God, and they're worried about the rug. And there's a beautiful scene that made me cry where Chuck Smith gets a bowl on Sunday morning, and as everybody comes into church, he washes their feet. Are you someone who goes looking for trouble? Why would that be? Secondly, dangerous people weaponize the Bible. They weaponize the Bible. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They're using the law. But the thing is, they're wrong. Deuteronomy 23 says, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. You see, these guys are using the Bible in a way that just hurts people, and it's inaccurate. Sometimes I meet Christians, and we get talking about difficult issues, and they say, I just believe the Bible. Well, that's a good thing. 
But take a step forward from that. Because just saying, I just believe the Bible, needs some qualification. We need to understand what the Bible is saying. And if you say, well, what's that about? Well, I just believe the Bible. Leviticus 19 says, if you wear clothes made of more than one thread, it is a sin. So anybody currently adorned in mixed fibers... I just believe the Bible. Oh, right, okay. Well, then Leviticus 17 prohibits you from watching American football or even soccer, the game of the Lord. (laughs) Why? Because you should not touch pigskin, leather. You see, I'm not making mockery of these laws. These, every one of these laws was given for a sensible reason. But we need to understand the context of the Bible. If we don't, we're going to be in trouble. You say, oh, that's just Old Testament, Jeff. Don't ever dismiss the Old Testament. But let me give you a New Testament one. 1 Corinthians 11. Women should cover their heads during worship. Man, we've got a lot of sinful sisters here. Come forward right now. We have handkerchiefs. Now, actually, I haven't got time to explain it, but for good theological and biblical reasons, I do not believe that is applicable in our context. And I've got, I can explain that to you if you want and come and talk to me about it. But if you just take the verse and weaponize it without digging deep to understand it, we can do damage. I'm not talking about deconstructing our faith. A lot of people are doing that these days. I'm I'm talking about us taking the Bible seriously and studying it and wrestling with it and submitting to it. You look back in church history to the Great Reformation where people like John Calvin and Martin Luther desperately wanted the Bible to be in the hands of the ordinary people. And the invention of the printing printing press made that possible. But Calvin developed a catechism, a foundation course, and the institutes of religion for Christian leaders because he didn't just want to put the Bible in the hands of people. He wanted to help them to understand the Bible. And Martin Luther did the same thing. Martin Luther would not allow children to read the Bible unless they'd studied the catechism. Most historians and commentators say that was a bridge too far. My point being, they understood the power of the Bible, but its potential to be misused as well. I encourage us, dig deep into Scripture. Thirdly, these dangerous religious people, they developed a heart condition. They had stubborn hearts, Mark 3, 5. And the word stubborn there is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians. They are darkened in their understanding Uh, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. If we resist God, we don't stand on level ground. We stand on a slippery slope. And our hearts will gradually get harder. Watching that movie on Friday night, and I talked about it on the way home. I, I, and later I just said to the Lord, I, I want to, I want, would you just keep me tender? Would you keep me open to your whispers? I believe God whispers a lot. I wish he'd shout. I wish he'd use text or email. 
I think, you know why I think he whispers? I think when you whisper to someone, you want them to come close. This is a dangerous place to be up here because I can end up studying for this message. People say to me, how long do you, how long do you spend preparing a sermon? About 20 hours and about 40 years. Here's the danger. I've been doing this for a long time. And I could become a professional Christian. Not allowing this to really penetrate my heart. God's been talking to me about this stuff. Keep tender hearts. Fourthly, dangerous religious people form ungodly alliances. Ungodly alliances. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians. That's crazy. Because they had nothing in common with the Herodians, the supporters of Herod Antipas. He's the guy that executed John the Baptist. And Herod was a lackey of Rome. And the Pharisees wanted Rome to be overthrown. They had nothing in common. But they joined together because they were so desperate to get rid of Jesus. Let me just say this. Let's all be careful about our friendships the groups that we're in, that we don't allow negativity and gossip to form as part of that alliance. I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'll share my last point. This story is kind of weird and crazy, and you can do with it whatever you like, but I'm going to just tell you because it happened, okay? Years ago, Kay and I were traveling with a worship team around the U.S., just doing one-night services in different churches of worship and teaching. And we're in this church in Oregon, <coughs> I think it was, and we're, it was a full church. The balcony was empty. And halfway through the worship, Kay nudged me, and she said, look up there in the balcony. And I looked up there in the balcony. I said, what? And she said, do you see them? And I said, what? what? And, and she said, there's like two figures up there. They're like sneering at us. There's like a dark presence up there. And so I gave her the practiced expression on my face that I have to appear that I think she's onto something and that I'm taking her seriously. It goes like this. Hmm. But in my heart, I'm thinking, cuckoo, <laughs> two dark, two dark figures, maybe the result of deviled eggs, who knows? <laughs> so I said, I don't see anything. She said, look again. I'm like, I stood on one leg, I covered one, I couldn't see it. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, we should stop the service and pray. There's something really dark. We need to pray against it. I'm like, I said, I, I don't know about that. I said, I don't have a witness. That's Christian language for no. <laughs> so we carried on. We had a very nice service. And the next morning, our team, we gathered at the church to say goodbye to the pastors. And the senior pastor came up and he said, thanks for last night. And uh, before you go, would you and the team, would you mind coming up into our balcony for a time of prayer? And I'm like, 
Do they have some construction issues, some few cracks in the, in the ceiling or something? So we go into the balcony, and I said, why have you brought us up here? He said, well, I think he said it was 20 years ago. He said, the choir of that time met in this balcony to plot the downfall of the pastor. And they made an agreement that they would all stop giving and starve him and his family out. And they did it. And he said, ever since that time, people who have got spiritual sensitivity... They sense there's something dark, and we just want you to pray about it. And Kay gave me a look. <laughs> it's a look that I've seen many times. <laughs> now you can, when we pray, now, now you, I don't know what you're going to do with that. You might want to talk, you might, th you might think, that's nuts, it's crazy. It happened. Because you see, when we make unholy alliances, there is a legacy. How did a group of men, four of whom were PhDs, how did they sit down in a room in Nazi Germany, item number one on the agenda, kill six million people? It's because something dark entered into their alliance. It's called structural sin. There's a theological name for it. There's a positive side to this as well. If we agree in prayer, two or three of you gather in my name. The Holy Spirit can inherit Inhabit a collective. Let's watch out for our alliances. The last, the last thing. And finally. Dangerous religious people are normally blind to their own sins. They're blind to their own sins. Look at this. They're complaining about Jesus doing something wonderful. And they plot with the Herodians how they might kill him. They're, they're upset about picking a head of grain and then they go and plan murder. Jesus described this kind of self-blindness like this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, when Jesus talked about a plank, commentators believe, some translate it log or beam, commentators believe that he was referring to the main beam of a house that would be 36 feet long. 36 foot of wood sticking out your head. Now, I can't lift 36 feet, but I can lift this. And let me show you what Jesus was trying to, was trying to say. So, uh, hold on a minute. Let's just get this sticking out of my head here. There's Ca hey, Cameron, how are you? Hey, Pastor Jeff. I'm doing pretty good. Um, I, I got a prayer request, however. My neck is kind of sore, and I'm finding it a little difficult to keep my head up, and I have got no clue as to what, what's, any, any idea? I have a clue. What might that be? Well, I hate to tell you this, Pastor Jeff, but you have a huge plank in your eye. You know, 
In the words of John McEnroe, <laughs> you cannot be serious. <laughs> Do you know what, though, I notice? What? I mean, all this talk about me having a plank in my eyes totally ridiculous. But I'm just noticing, I, I don't know whether you're, you're aware of it, but you've got a little speck going on in your eye. I don't think so. You're crazy. Amen to that. <laughs> so where do you go when you're a plank person? Where do you go when you need forgiveness? Where do you go when you realize that you're the one who's always looking for a problem, something to complain about? Where do you go when you feel smothered with shame? Where do you go when you want to become a Christian? Where do you go? That's where you go. To the cross, and the cross of Jesus is empty. Why is it empty? Because he is alive, everybody. He's alive. And so here's what we're going to do. Uh, in a moment, we're going to sing. I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to, respond, to come and stand in front of an empty cross. I'd like you to come and stand here if you're at the end of your rope and you need God's help in a situation. I'd like you to come and stand here as we've talked about physical healing if you would like to ask God for physical healing. I'd like you to come and stand here if you're one of those offended people and you need to get that straightened out in your heart and life. I'd like to ask you to come and stand here if you'd like to give your life to Jesus and you're going to make this public right now. You don't have to come, but there is something about a moment of response where we, we engage our will and we say, this matters enough for me to ask the Holy Spirit to help me right now. We're getting reports, only two or three at the moment so far, of people being healed in the last few weeks. So exciting. What might God do? So we're going to stand. Please stand if you're able. Let's stand. And I, I'm not going to ask you to even wait until the song begins. If you want to come and stand here at the front for whatever reason you like, we're not going to ask you. I'd like to ask you to begin to come right now and just stand along the front here and be decisive. And it might be that you're coming with your partner because you know uh, that for whatever reason, you guys need help at the moment and you're gonna come and stand here and, and push forward into the front here and uh, just be here and wait upon the Lord as you're here. Let's continue to sing. Let's continue to respond to the Lord. Your cross testifies of grace of the Father's heart to make a way for us. Now boldly we approach, not by earthly confidence, it's only by your blood. 
for the richness of your presence here, Lord Jesus. We are hungry for you. And you know why our dear friends stand here courageously responding to you. You know the stories where healing, physical healing is needed. We cry out to you for healing and we ask you, Lord, to do supernatural things and we promise we won't sensationalize anything or take any credit, it will only about, be about Jesus. For situations in families and relationships, bring healing and resolution and peace where there have been specks and planks and that spirit of offense. Get that out of us, Lord. Where there are people here today because they're wanting to become followers of Christ, May this be the moment. In fact, you know, our time is gone and I want to be respectful for the other ministries around the building right now. But if you're wanting to become a follower of Jesus right now, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I invite you to whisper this prayer right where you're standing here, maybe in the audience, the congregation, I should say, maybe watching online. Jesus, I need you. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to take charge. Please forgive my sin. I turn from my ways to your ways. And I make this choice right now to become a follower of yours. Now make your Lordship real in every area of my life as I travel with you. So we give you thanks, Jesus. And if you've just prayed that prayer, come and talk with our prayer team later. We want to help you and give you some resources. Now, we're going to sing the song again. And those of you at the front here, can you, can you just look at me for a moment? I want to just ask you, tell you this. Our next service is happening in 22 minutes. But I want to tell you, if you want to linger here, you might want to sit down somewhere or just kneel here. If you want to linger feel free to do that. In fact, if you're still here at the beginning of the next service, I don't know what we'll do, but we'll sort it out. But don't rush. Don't rush. It's okay. We're going to sing. And if you want to go back to your seat, you can feel free. And if you want to linger, just linger. Let's sing.